Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at either hsstaffing.com or fishhookbooks.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me this coming Wednesday at noon when my guest will be Nicholas Apici from Manhattan Mini Storage. We will be discussing a marketing strategy to build an iconic brand. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, www.thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Isaac Rodriguez from Provident Loan Society of New York. We will be discussing alternate sources of of funding. Please remember, the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301, and please dial 1 so I know you have a question. Isaac, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bruce. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. And yourself? Excellent. Excellent, thanks. Why don't we begin, as I always do, tell us about yourself and your organization. Sure. I can tell you that uh, I'm a Queens native, born and raised in Woodside, New York. Um, Believe it or not, I live in the same building that I grew up in. Still to this day, my great-grandmother bought it back in the, in the 50s, and uh, it was family-owned. So I'm a Queens guy and uh, spent my entire life in the city and uh, in my career. And I've been a career, I, I like to say I'm a reformed banker right now, after having spent uh, about a quarter of a century in, in the banking business. Uh, actually, a little in excess of that, but... Uh, and. Now, I'm with the Provident Loan Society. I'm running the only not-for-profit collateral lender in the United States. We lend money against gold and diamond jewelry, fine watches, and silverware out of five locations uh, in New York. So it's, it's an amazing, an amazing company and a, an amazing opportunity for me to, to take over an organization about three years ago that had been uh, for about 120 years a discrete alternative to pawn shops. And because the company was so discreet, it, it really nobody knew about it. And so the, the, the grandmothers and the grandfathers, when they passed away and the people didn't, uh, you know, the generations kind of went away or people moved, you know, the company was atrophying and really needed to be reinvigorated in, in the New York City place and, and to kind of uh, make its place in the fabric uh, of New York City again. Why are you a non-profit and not a for-profit? We were, we were a not-for-profit. We were established as a business organization with a philanthropic purpose. Uh, the actual code is a 501c4 in the IRS. We actually, because since we were established in 1894, we actually predate the IRS. So uh, when they did establish not-for-profit and these codes and things, they put us in kind of a catch-all uh, area of a 501c4 where other companies like the NFL, 
Welch's Grape Juice, Kappa Cheese, those are all business associations, business organizations. Uh, so they put us into that. But we were enacted, uh, actually incorporated by statute in 1894 as a, uh, and not a charitable organization. I don't want to say that, that we were charitable, but again, a business organization with a philanthropic purpose. So why are we not-for-profit? So that we can be a good alternative to people that would need to go to a pawn shop or uh, and have a need, a time in their life when uh, you find either you lost a job or uh, a divorce situation and, and your, your spouse is no longer working or something along those lines, domestic violence, all of these types of things, or you're a business owner and you, can't make, uh, you didn't get the check and you can't make payroll and you need something quick uh, and you have a, a good watch or you have some jewelry in the, in the drawer, you can come and, and, and have an alternative to go into a pawn shop where the difference there for a for-profit entity they're going to charge double what uh, the interest that we would charge. And additionally, their, their terms are going to be shorter. And, uh, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later on in our, in our program, but uh, the bottom line is that we, since we have no profit motive, we can be very straight with everyone that comes in in terms of the value of what it is that they're doing, exactly what it is that we're doing, the value of their collateral, the value of the gold, whether or not it's real, they can count on us. And... At the end of the day, with a with a uh, pawn shop, when uh, if someone does not redeem their item, it would can be it would be sold. Typically, they will sell it in a in, a, in an auction scenario, but not a, not necessarily a public one, a private sale, where the item may more often than not, and I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the item is sold for the amount of the loan and whatever fees or things are due, and there's no excess. Uh, and uh, and that uh, so the pawn shop keeps the item. In our case, we auction our items three times a year at public auction, and very often we have surpluses. We'll sell an item, and it exceed the amount that we get exceeds what the loan amount and the interest was, and that amount is returned to the borrower. We find and track down the borrower as best as we can to let them know that there was a surplus. So that's uh, you know uh, that would go to the bottom line of a pawn shop, not for us. Since you're a 501c4 and not three, can you give out uh, receipts for charitable donations? We cannot. We certainly no. would, okay. would ex- correct. We'd certainly accept any donation. We'd be happy to accept the <laughs> donation, but unfortunately, uh, <laughs> the individual donating would not be able to <laughs> deduct that. Okay. Now, in a way, you're really a traditional lender because, if I'm not mistaken, pawn shops have been around as long as banks and maybe even longer. Why is it that pawning, if that's the right word, is not that known as a source of funding for businesses? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question because – we are a traditional lender, and actually pawning goes way back and dates, dates way back, and I can tell you the origin of what we do goes back to 1400s in uh, Bologna, Italy, where we had – actually, we went there uh, to visit kind of the, the area where they actually scribed in the books the, the transactions. I think they're the, the monks at the time, and they would uh, lend against jewels. It was kind of a bartering situation. And so it goes all the way back there, and, and probably even before. I know that there are rumors, and I'm not sure if it's confirmed or not, that that uh, the Queen Isabella pawned her jewels to fund the uh, the uh, Columbus's uh, journey. 
So, yeah, without a doubt, it goes way, way back. And and the, and the thing in terms of uh, as far as banks, it's just that I guess uh, uh, pawn shops I know have had a stigma and continue to have a stigma, only more recently – They've been, uh, because of the TV shows that are on and the places in the West Coast and the Midwest, have kind of glorified it and made it, made it interesting. And it is a fascinating, fascinating business. And it's, uh, yeah, pawning, absolutely, you can call it, call it that. Because, you know, in, in a vernacular, you can say hawking. People will say they, they hawk their stuff. And it's, uh, and, and it's something that in certain Instances that may have a negative connotation, but the reality is, is that it's just another way to monetize an asset that you that you have. So for businesses, the, it's just not a way. A business might not necessarily think of it off the top of my, off top of their head. A business owner would go to a bank only because that's what they would think. A bank is supposed to lend to a business. This is what we would do. A business goes to a bank. And then when a bank would decline them or not provide them with whatever it is that the company would need, then they're looking for other alternatives. And usually by that time, the business owner's back is up against the wall, and then, you know, and time is of the essence. So they may fall prey to, to the local pawn shop if they have that, or they may not even know about it, know that it exists. So what are the restrictions on getting a loan from a I I don't want to say from you specifically, but in general from a pawn shop. Yeah, well, I can tell you in, in generally from a pawn. Well, you have to, you know, there, there's also misinformation in pawning, and that people think, well, yeah, all the time people come there with stolen goods and stuff, and that's where they fence. And, and you know, the reality is is that a pawn shop, when you go in with an item, even to a pawn shop, and especially for us, but of course with a pawn shop, you have to to demonstrate ownership of the item number one and number two you've got to demonstrate and you've got to show uh identity identification so if you're getting a loan or even if you're selling something uh, now we don't buy or sell and that's a big difference that i want to make very clear we are a financial institution we do one thing and that's make loans against gold and diamond jewelry fine watches and silverware pawn shops can buy things they can buy they have a buy and sell license which is a whole other area of the business that they can get into. But in terms of a, from a loan standpoint, if an individual goes into a pawn shop with, to, to make a loan, they need identification. And also to sell the item, they need to have identification and to show that they own the item. That's a good point because I did not realize that. So you're not buying, you're not selling. Correct. So how, so I have, I don't, so if anybody wants to break into my apartment, they will not find a five thousand, uh, a $50,000 uh, Rolex in the drawer. You have a paddock. But, what about the paddock? The paddock Philippe? Come on, Bruce. Where is that? You're holding out on it. No time. <laughs> so I come into you with my $50,000 Rolex, yes. and I say, I need money. Yep. I go to a bank, and I say, Here's my collateral. It's a $50,000 Rolex, and I have all the ownership's not an issue. I've got everything I can prove it's mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's the difference between you and the bank? You know, <laughs> uh, it's a loan it, based I, on collateral. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and it is a loan based on collateral, and it's the kind of thing where I, I don't see banks really wanting to lend against personal 
property as collateral. They'll take it into account. In other words, when a business owner goes in to apply for a business loan, they'll fill out the application, but they'll also fill out a personal financial statement, which will contain the assets that it is that they own personally. So to make a business loan, a bank might not necessarily want to lend against an individual's personal assets unless they pledge them in favor of the business. But the, the, the other aspect is, uh, is that they have no place to put it, nor do they have the expertise to appraise the items. That's that's the thing. Is that I remember as a, as a banker that that uh, you know people would joke with me and say you know uh, well you're going to take my firstborn as collateral. I'm like no, they don't fit in the vault. It's like you know we don't want we we can't do that even from a bank standpoint or not. And our standpoint, we just you know it, it just doesn't make sense. So uh, they uh, uh, from a from the bank's perspective, I can say that. They would, uh, you know, with different items and different things, takes a lot of expertise, and you have to be able to liquidate. You have to understand the value. You have to understand the market. You have to understand the uh, what the utility of the item is going to be. For example, what it is that you're lending against? Do you lend, and how do you determine what that is? Uh, on the commercial side of the business, I can tell you, is always a moving target. What was what you can lend more or less against, depending upon the type of collateral that it was. And that was on a grander scale, in which you're doing much, much larger transactions. We're doing small transactions of about $938 per transaction. That's our, our average loan size. And we did over 30000 of those last year. I'm just curious about something. You're, if you're not buying and selling, that means that you have nothing on display. If somebody were to go into your office and they didn't know where they were, it could be an accounting firm, it could be a law firm, it could be anything. Correct? Well, it, yeah. It, well, uh, they would. Our spaces right now, because we're so old and we've been around for for a long time in the same location, we're we're we look like old New York City, big block buildings, and you know, almost uh, almost like like court court buildings and and those types of of structures, or or a heavy uh, Wall Street. Bank of New York type bank, you know, uh, uh, institutional type of thing. So when you, if you were to come into our branch, I mean, those are the older branches. Our newer branches in Bay Ridge, in and when I say newer, uh, 20, 30 years, but uh, our Bay Ridge and and Flushing office, those are more storefronts. So they would be glass, and we have signage, and and it's kind of like you would walk in. It it looks a little like I would say a hybrid between a. To a bank and a moneygram money services operation, you know that type of a that type of a thing from a storefront. The other buildings that we have, the older ones, we look like an old stodgy institution. That flat out, we just look like an old bank, but we're not. <laughs> and as I have, we have to keep explaining to people, we're not a bank. We're, we don't take deposits at all. <laughs> we only do one thing, and that's that's all really part of what we're trying to do here. All we want to do is let people know that we're still here. This is what we do. We hope you never need us. And, but if you do, please know that we're here and where we are. And that's really so, it. And that, that, you know, you can trust us. So you have jewelers on site who can appraise the um, items that are brought in? Absolutely. Or do you have to we, send them no, no, no. We have we have expert appraisers on staff at every location that can appraise an item. The, with the only exception, as you mentioned, a watch before. We have a watch.
Right. Watch Expert is in our is in our headquarter location, and because it's such a specific industry uh, and and is fraught with all types of fakes and things like that, and and you really have to understand, you have to be so steeped in it. We do the major watch loans out of our Park Avenue location. That's that's where our watch expert resides. Gotcha. Now, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Isaac Rodriguez from Provident Loan Society of New York, and we're discussing alternate sources of funding. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301, and please dial 1 so I know you have a question. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Isaac, why would a business want to use a pawn shop to get financing? Uh, Why would a business want to use a pawn shop to get financing? That one is that because they don't want to go to the bank. They want something fast. Uh, A bank is not set up to do quick cash loans. They're just not. You know, you've got to fill out the application. It's got to be reviewed. It's, if you walk into a branch, the individual is going to look at the application and then find a department to send it to. And by the time they get it, then they can ask for information. They can ask for more information and so on and so forth, depending upon what it is that it, how much it is that you're looking for so that, they, so that the bank can evaluate the risk. Uh, a business owner just doesn't have that kind of time, a, particularly a small business owner. A mom-and-pop guy or, or a woman cannot afford to take all that time. They've got to make payroll, or they want to take advantage of a sale that one of their vendors are doing to get some inventory on something that is that, that, that's flying out the door. You know, it's a lot easier for them to grab their Rolex or grab, you know, to go in and get grandma's jewels that, that have been sitting and doing nothing or the broken earrings and all the, and the, and the broken chains that are in the drawers come and, and, and plop it down with us for a few days or us or a pawn shop or, you know, uh, for us, it can be as little as a few days. With a pawn shop, more, more often than not, they'll charge 30 days plus at a minimum just so that just to cover their costs. Uh, so, but anyway, that's why they would want to do that for a short-term cash thing to take advantage for an emergency, uh, and and that when they don't have time to deal with an application process and tons of questions and and the like, or even let's say a, a company and is filed for bankruptcy and as or or the the individual is trying to get out or or there is a bankruptcy scenario, uh, maybe they you know there's a, they and they can't do personal credit, their personal credit was shot, or, or their, maybe their personal credit was shot in a divorce, or for whatever other reason, or they had a business before and had to file, or they had a bad partner. I mean, so many different things happen in life that will throw you out of the, of the box that a bank needs you to be in. So uh, they, that, those are the types of individuals and business owners that might want to come or, or might want to use uh, the services of a pawn shop. What businesses shouldn't use your service? The businesses that shouldn't use our services are the ones that have their inventory on consignment, uh, that uh, you know, because or jewelers. Let's say jewelry businesses that let's say are taking repairs. You can't. It, it, some jewelers might even want to use their customers' jewelry to borrow against. You know, that's a no-no. <laughs> so we don't. But we, they don't have ownership of it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So they would not want. That's why I'm saying a business like that, you would not. You know, uh, you couldn't pledge that collateral. So that wouldn't be a good example for them, as a good business to 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 do that. Um, 
But you're just giving examples now of of business collateral. It would be like my if I were to come to you and say, "I need a loan. Here's my computer." You're not going to do that. You're going to Correct. want to watch. You're going to Correct. want jewelry. Correct. That's right. So I'm speaking more of in terms of a jeweler. Let's say a jeweler or or a a jewelry store that takes in items and so or maybe they they bought inventory and they want to uh, uh, you know and they need the cash against the inventory. We can do that, but it's going to be the the, the they're going to have to demonstrate and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they own this this, this collateral. So that's, it just makes it a little bit more difficult. So that would be more of a, uh, I would suggest, not even bothering in, in that uh, an instance because there's no, it would be very difficult for us to discern what's owned by them and what's not owned by them unless they can absolutely prove that. What does someone need to apply for a loan? Collateral and identification. Appropriate in our case, appropriate collateral and identification. That's it. Two forms of ID. Now, you, people are going to come in, I would assume, with family heirlooms. Yeah. And very often. there's no receipt. So how do they prove ownership? Ah, well, they in in many instances it could be an estate. So let's say if there's a Let's say the item was gotten in an estate. In an estate, uh, grandmother passed away his grandma's ring. Maybe typically, depending upon what the nature of the estate is, it will list the item there. Anything and every, or maybe they brought the item to be repaired at a jewelry store some years back, and they still have the receipt. Uh, things that that we that that can that we can somehow trace that they've had possession. And ownership of this as, as for as long as we possibly can, and, and in many cases we have to turn people away if they can't, if they can't uh, provide that, and they will, or they can get it uh, uh, certified, appraised. That's another way for them to do it. So you have a whatever that you've owned for 50 years. You mm-hmm. bought it, or you were given it as a gift for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and it's valuable. If you don't have any receipt, you never had a receipt, you go to an appraiser, you get it appraised, and that would, the appraisal certification would constitute, for your purposes, uh, proof of ownership. And, I mean, that in and of itself, no, but when you put that in in context with the individual and the story that it is that they're ta- saying, you know, it's, a lot of it is the kind of thing where we've got to, we've got to be a little bit of a detective because, you know, we, we want to make loans. We want to help people and we, to the extent we have. We understand very, and very often, you know, these things, there aren't receipts or there are things. So we'll, we'll try and be as creative as possible with the individual to establish ownership uh, very often there's there's something in there there's a there's a photo like we've even looked at old photos of people wearing the jewelry in the past you know it's it's it, it really depends upon the situation uh, but it also depends upon the loan amount that it is there that we're looking at uh, and you know uh, and the nature of the individual when we're speaking to them because so much is personal uh, interaction that we have when someone's at the window we we really we're in there in a time of need we deal with it all the time, every day, day in, day out. And when someone is trying to do something that's not, you know, or say something that's not necessarily the case, 
we dig a little bit deeper and we kind of know, you know, which way that is going just from the experience for, for all the years of us doing this. Our managers, just to give you a sense, have been, many of our managers have been in, in our offices for a minimum 25 years. So they've got tremendous, tremendous experience with borrowers and various, you, you name the situation, they can tell you how to deal with it. You know, it's funny, people ask me, how do I know when a um, candidate for one of my um, executive recruiting clients uh, mm. so, uh, is lying? And I say, you know, you, you, you get a sixth sense yeah. after a while. There are a number yeah. of tells, but you just sort of know, but it's an intangible. You just can't say, this is the reason. I just have a feeling. You have a now, feeling. I and write and, 100% and, yeah. no. But uh, right, but you know, with us, it starts with a feeling, and then we try and connect the dots. And if the dots don't connect, and they and that supports the feeling that there's something not right, we'll we'll walk. But if the dots connect, and you know, and it all makes sense, then you know, we'll we'll make, we'll move forward. Is there any government agency that comes in to check to make sure that everything is above board? A government agency, no, but we, as an offer, we're audited. We are audited on an annual basis uh, by a big four accounting firm that uh, turns anything and everything upside down on us. <laughs> uh, for several months, in the beginning of every year, we uh, we turn it all over to them, and uh, and they go through everything. But not only that, I have to I have to say that. You know, it, it for them actually. I think it's it's a it's a walk in the park, and I, I know they hate it when I say that. <laughs> but the reality yeah. is, is that we uh, again, having been around for so long, you know, something back in the twenties, back in the nineteen twenties, back in nineteen early nineteen hundreds, we were doing. Uh, She's almost quadrupled the business that we're doing now with much smaller lending amounts, and we are handling this on paper, handwritten paper ledgers. And they were done, and they, they footed. I mean, the, the accounts, actually, we, we, in this particular firm, goes back with a, uh, the individual. While it's not the same firm, he goes back a number of years, and he was saying some of the former presidents, uh, and former, I'm sorry, the former accountants with us, with Provident, would prove to the penny. They would not turn over the general ledger until approved to the penny. So it's the kind of thing where uh, we're, we're so uh, internally focused uh, in terms of our, our audit and our processes and our procedures. Uh, it's, it's, it's checked. It's not checked once. It's not checked twice. It's not checked three times alone. And, they, and then on top of that, there are spot checks in all of our, in all of our offices to make sure that there are no, uh, you know, that, 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 that we're making the right kinds of loans because we have to check on so many different ways. You know, we have to check the manager to make sure that the amount that they lent is the, you know, makes sense with the item, that the item description, I mean, I can go on and on and on, but we're constantly, it's, it's a never ending process of self auditing, but also we're externally audited by the, uh, by our auditors and re we present a report. And, uh, on top of that, we are, we're subject to, uh, department of consumer affairs laws. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, last question. Yeah. Let's get into the weeds a bit. How are loans structured? What's the interest rate? What's the length? How's it work? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I come in, you I give you my watch, I say I want $900, right. which if I remember correctly is your average. That's right. So what happens? Okay. 
So we take the we take the watch, and our appraiser goes through the appraisal process of of evaluating the watch, and then they would come back to you and say, uh, you know, what it, what we could lend against that particular item. Hopefully, it's in excess of what it is that you're looking for, which uh, does happen <laughs> every once in a while, depending upon the the, the level of gold, the price of gold uh, of late. And once that's determined, we would then uh, tell you, okay, we'll lend you. $1,000. Let's just take $1,000 for argument's sake. Okay. And uh, so now we're going to lend you $1,000 against this watch. You say, okay. Now you'll sign, you'll, you'll sign the, the, the pawn ticket. That'll be the description of everything. And you will get a ticket that will describe in, the te- in detail all the terms and conditions of the loan, which is a six-month loan. The term of the loan is six months. The interest rate is 2% a month and it's calculated at simple interest on a daily basis. So you could, if you, you have that $1,000, you could take that $1,000, and then if you needed to, if you're just waiting to get a check for the next day and you had to pay something or whatever, and you got that check the next day, or the check cleared that you had the next day, you could come back and pay one day's of interest and calculate or whatever that would be. We would actually lose money on that situation, but we do that. It could be five days. It could be seven days. Or you could go for the entire six months, and at the end of six months, the the uh, principal is due, plus interest, and we have a nominal ticket and storage fee. The ticket fee is $7, and the storage fee is a sliding scale based upon the amount that you borrow, which um, is also very reasonable in terms of uh, you know what, what the fees it is that, that we charge in, in the marketplace to get that type of a loan, although you really can't get it. <laughs> so... Yeah. That's uh, that that so at the end of the term at the end of the six months we we send notices we let people know uh, that that their loan is coming due to come in and pay the interest part of the principal all the principal or none of the above the individual elects it's their choice they can choose not to come in after now if they're making that choice. Uh, we strongly encourage them to come back to please take their items because you know we don't want we want people to keep their stuff and we want them to be able to come back when they're in a time of need. So we we may go the extra mile to to let people know, hey, please come back. Uh, you know, let's take a look at it again. Let's look at it, see what the circumstances are to see if there's anything that we can do to help salvage it so that it doesn't go to auction because that's what will happen after six months. The item is then what we call booked for auction. We tag the item, we describe it as best as we can with all the other items that have been defaulted on, and that and they are shipped to uh, a gallery up on 87th Street, where they would, uh, at a particular date, would auction off the items, and then the proceeds would repay them the loan, interest, associated fees, plus about 20% for auction, the cost that it takes us to bring the item to auction, and any surplus is returned to the borrower. Uh, so on that $1,000 loan, you're going to pay approximately $130 interest. Uh, yeah, it's after six months, about $130, and uh, plus 7 bucks of a storage fee and a ticket fee. Uh, I couldn't quote you right now, but that's essentially what it would be. So let's just say you give me the $1,000. I've given you, for sake of argument, a watch that's worth $10,000. And after six months, I don't want it back. And you sell it. And you actually get 
for sake of argument, $10,000 for it. Now, based on what you said previously at the beginning, mm-hmm. yep. you would then send me $9,000. It would be less than $9,000. Less than the, we yeah, have the interest fees yeah. and whatever. Right, 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 right. right. The cost sake of argument. And so forth. But yes. But okay. let's say for simple so, numbers, a thousand bucks, you would get a check for nine grand. Correct. We'd call okay. you up and tell you, come in and get your check. Yep. Or if we okay. send it to you, we'd send you the check. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I just, if that's, if I know that going in, then mm-hmm. wouldn't it make sense for me to just come to you and say, sell this for me, and I will give you five hundred dollars. Uh, so in um, well, we, it's we'd have to somebody could do that, but we'd have to structure it in terms of a loan. You know, it would have to be structured as as a loan. So, so if someone knew that they wanted to, they wanted us to auction their item, and they knew they were going to default, they could come in just before our auction. You know, two weeks before the auction, come and, and bring the item. We'd lend against it, uh, and then it would just go straight in. You know, it, it's funny. It, I will int- every week I interview people on a different subject. Last week it was river cruising. Mm-hmm. To go from river cruises to a pawn shop that's yep. <laughs> you know to, uh, I forget when you said uh, 150 years old. 100 we're 100 it, about 122 years old. 1894 122. 122. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, a centuries old business it, it, it's it's what I enjoy about being the host of this show. And it's fantastic. And thank you for again. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. But it, it, it's amazing. I'll go and I'll say, "What am I going to discuss with this guy about pawning things for half an hour?" And mm. it turns out to be fascinating. And I thank oh, you yeah. for sharing this with us. It, it's my pleasure, and I thank you for for having me uh, on the program. I guess, and I could go on and on because I will tell you, and just it's because of the rich history that Provident has. Uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this, uh, in that we had, uh, we actually looked at the Hope Diamond at, at one time way back in the day. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the, the owner of the, well, the, I think it was the editor of the Washington Post at the time, uh, used to be a customer of Provident. And she wanted to pledge the Hope Diamond to get a loan to try and save the Lindbergh baby. This is all out That's in That's the in story a, yeah. you end with? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the expression "burying the lead"? <laughs> no, what's that? <laughs> well, I thank you for ending on a high note. Before I let you go, what's the best way to get in touch? The best way to get in touch is Provident www.provenalone.com. Two one two six eight five zero three eight zero is our main office number. We have five locations throughout the city. Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, we have our, our office, we have Flushing, Queens, we have Fordham, the Bronx, and we have two offices in Manhattan, one on 72nd Street between 3rd and Lex, and we also have our Park Avenue South location located conveniently on the corner of 25th Street and Park Avenue South. Isaac, thank you so much. This has been great. I hope you'll come back on. Thank you, Bruce. I'll be happy to. Take care. And as always, I want to thank all of our listeners, and I'm certain Isaac joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week.